Hello, and welcome to Sharp, the podcast where we help you get a little better at the stuff you have to do, so you can spend more time doing the stuff you want to do. So now, on with the episode. Hi there, and welcome to episode five. I did it again, didn't I? I did that kind of, hi there. I can't help it. I just get a bit excited when I start doing this. I shall try and calm down. Um, So you might remember that in episode four, we spoke to Lisa. And one of the points that we talked about and the back end of that conversation was about changing a habit, how you can do more of the stuff that makes a difference and less of the stuff that doesn't. So I thought it might help over the next few episodes for us to have a look at habits and what we can do about them. Now, if you say the word habit, your mind can often go first to bad habits, smoking or eating too much food or the wrong kind of food. If I asked you, what are your good habits? What are your good habits? Um, That kind of infers already that that you don't have any. And even if we thought about it, we might say things like um, exercising regularly or spending good quality time with the kids. I'd ask, are those habits or are they good practice? And that's the area that we're going to cover over the next few weeks. So if you want to change a habit, it's worth finding out how they form, what causes them and what your options are. Now, sadly, there's no simple solution because habits are actually really complicated. In his best-selling book, The Power of Habit, Charles Duhigg explains about the patterns of habit, and he says that they're made up of three elements, a cue, a routine, and a reward. Duhigg explains that the cue is the trigger that sends your brain off on this particular loop of behaviour. The routine, well, that's the more obvious bit. It's the thing that you do like lighting up the cigarette or drinking the drink. He gives a great example of eating cookies in the afternoon. Mmm, tis the afternoon, and that's making me hungry. And the reward, of course, well, that's what you get from it, or importantly, what you think you get from it. You see, the reality may be very different, and that can be a key to understanding why the habit forms in the first place. I used to be a heavy smoker, sometimes 40 a day. Yeah, Marlboro Reds. It really wasn't very nice. When I stopped smoking, I used a system called Easy Way by Alan Carr. And that system breaks down the reality of why smokers do it to themselves. And the beauty is that once you get it, you stop instantly. If you think about the habit of using social media in a mindless or or an unhelpful way, again, the cue could be the flashing flashing night, Um, that's a very different kind of habit, Um, the flashing light on your phone, uh, the notification, or just simply that you've got the phone in your hand, the routine, well, that's scrolling through the feed, looking at the pictures or the updates, Uh, the reward, some people claim that you get a small dopamine hit, Um, others say that it's about the illusion of feeling valued that when people take notice of us. The good news is that whatever the ingredients to habits are, our brains are not fixed, they can change. So good or bad habits can be stopped and they can be started again. Learning why we form habits is one thing. Learning how to change them, how to take control, well, that might be where we want to get to. I've talked before about a fantastic podcast called Freakonomics Radio. There was an episode broadcast in April 2016 called How to Be More Productive. Now, that single episode alone is a fantastic resource, one that I really recommend that you listen to It's in my top 10 of great podcasts to help you get better. Obviously, present company excluded. 
In that episode, our friend Charles Duhigg talks about his follow-up book to The Power of Habit, a book called Smarter, Faster, Better. Here's a snippet from that episode where Duhigg talks to Stephen Dubner, the host, about the book and how productivity can be an alternative to habits. Duhigg's new book, Smarter, Faster, Better, combines old-fashioned reporting and a survey of the academic literature to identify best productivity practices. His first book, The Power of Habit, did the same for habit formation. I had assumed the second book was sort of a continuation of the first, but Duhigg sees it as the opposite. Because The Power of Habit is all about these decisions that you stop making, right? Choices that become automatic that I, I simply stop thinking about. Whereas productivity is about re-grabbing control over the choices. Instead of simply reacting to what's in my environment and all the cues around me, it's about sitting down and deciding, I'm in charge about what I do with my time and what my goals are and how I manage my focus and how I control my brain. As I said, I think that's a great episode and well worth listening to. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. So going back to my chat with Lisa, I was referring there to a bell ringing in my mind about something that I'd seen recently about changing behaviour. So I went back and looked again, and the bell was being rung indirectly by a bloke called BJ Fogg. Now this fella has been chosen by Fortune magazine as one of the 10 gurus you should know. So he might be someone worth looking at. Fogg has produced a behaviour model, and in it, it says that behaviour change is impacted by three things motivation, ability, and trigger. Fogg talked about this theory in another excellent podcast called The One You Feed. The chat with Fogg is in episode 91, and that's definitely worth your time. In fact, The One You Feed podcast is worth your attention on an ongoing basis. There is loads of great stuff in there. Here's Fogg talking to the host, Eric, about his behaviour change model. Excellent. Well, let's let's dive into um, what one of the things you're known for, which is the fog behavioral model. And at a basic level, it's really saying that in order for a person to achieve a certain behavior change, to perform a certain behavior, they've got to be a combination of three things. Um, they got to be sufficiently motivated. They have to have the ability to actually do the behavior. And then finally, they need some sort of trigger to tell them to perform the behavior at that point. If those three things aren't kind of happening at the same moment, uh, the behavior won't happen. And one of the things that's great about that is that a lot of people that I talk to and a lot of people I work with, and I think you, I'm sure you run into this all the time, have this idea that these are we that whether we're able to change a behavior or not depends on our level of willpower or in, in a lot of cases even our own personal character and um it looks like you're showing that that's not the case well you know behavior is more than just motivation you know and so you did a great summary of my behavior model and it's one of the elements but it's not the whole uh it's not the whole equation and so what you and sometimes you can design for motivation, but motivation is very slippery. It goes up and down. You have competing motivations. Um, whereas when you look at the other two factors in my model, ability and trigger, when you design to make something easier, it tends to be a more robust um, design change or a better investment. Because some, if you make something easy to do, it doesn't usually be, suddenly become hard to do. And then certainly you've got to design for triggers. So that was just a little snippet. There's a lot more in that episode. Remember, it's episode 91. 
It's worth listening to. I'll put a link to the one you feed and Fogg's behaviour model in the show notes. Now, this idea is worth exploring. His model says that to change behaviour, if you have higher motivation, the importance of how easy something is to do is less relevant so long as there's a trigger. And of course, if something is really easy to do, then you don't need to have higher levels of motivation so long as the trigger's in the right place. Now, you might remember from our chat with Lisa that she recognised that spending 15 to 20 minutes a night working on our website wasn't a particularly difficult thing to do, but that the motivation to do it didn't seem as strong as the motivation to rest from a busy day and watch some TV. Now, arguably, there's nothing wrong with that. If you work hard, you need some downtime. If you only look at motivation for a solution in that situation, we could set a goal, um, we could visualise what maybe the benefit is of spending a little time each night working on the website and what that might deliver. We could print off a picture of that thing and make it real and we could have the picture right there in front of you so it serves as a trigger. An alternative solution could be to increase Lisa's ability to do it by making it easier. Now you might remember that we joked in the conversation about setting the laptop up in the same place that the TV is. Actually, there might be something in that. So again, not only has she got the trigger there, but it also increases how easy the thing is that she wants to do. The one thing that's consistent in both Doohig's and Fogg's explanations of habit, I made a mistake there, and I've edited it out so you didn't hear it, because it nearly contained a rude word. And this, um, this podcast has been put on iTunes as family-friendly. It doesn't have any rude words in it. Um, there are lots of rude words that go on, you just don't get to hear them. Anyway... The, con- the, the one thing that's constant in both Doohig's and Fogg's explanations of habit is that the power of the habit is not only influenced by the level of motivation. We know, for example, that just because you want to lose weight doesn't mean you automatically stop eating too much because the factors in eating are complex and they're triggered by lots of different things. We've all read stories of smokers who've been told that they could lose a limb but they still smoke even though they're faced with those dire consequences. And you don't have to be a smoker to recognise that motivation isn't always enough. Just because you want to get fit doesn't mean that you can easily get up and run first thing in the morning. But bizarrely, putting your gym gear next to your bed can have more impact because you're making it easier to take a small step towards the thing that you want to do. Lisa? Uh-huh. You know, we were talking the other day about you spending 20 minutes a night working on your website. Uh-huh. I've got your laptop. Oh, no, I'm not doing that now. I'm not spending 20 minutes now. No, you don't need to. Trust me. Just take the laptop. Open it. Shut it again. Give it back. What's the point of that? Was that hard? No. Okay. (laughs) Fair enough. Don't worry. Trust me. Now, this idea of taking baby steps, doing something instead of nothing, is an approach currently being recognised as well worth our consideration. In our scenario, it could be that for Lisa, just opening the laptop every night for a week is the right start. Do nothing else. Just have the laptop there next to where the TV is and just open it every night for a week. Then, for another week, she's already in the habit of opening the laptop, so she then moves on to glancing at the website. In the third week, once already in the habit of opening the laptop, 
and looking at the site. We then move on to making notes of what she might want to change, just for two minutes each night. Then the following week, do that for five minutes and so on. So after four weeks, we've really gently got ourselves into a habit that's so easy to do that by the time we're four weeks down the line, we're actually doing the thing that for the previous 20 or 30 weeks, we knew we should do, we knew we wanted to do, but just for some reason we haven't. You could apply this to going to the gym or saving money, anything which could grow over time and have real impact. I've talked before about a chap called David Allen, and in his Getting Things Done model, he suggests breaking a big project down into smaller actions, then only focusing on the next action, because that is all you can do at any one time. You cannot do the whole project. Think about it in terms of running. If you went for a two-mile run, you don't run those two miles in one go. You put your trainers on, you open the door, you go back in and put your clothes on, you go out and then you run one step at a time. You're only ever running one step at a time. The two miles is in your mind. It's never under your feet in one go. So baby steps could be more powerful than we might have thought. After all, it's where we all started, isn't it? It's worth thinking about what you want to change, how you can break it down into simple bite-sized pieces that are so simple that it would be hard not to do them. So in this episode, I'll share with you a couple of podcast resources on changing habits. There's loads of stuff out there, and over the next couple of episodes, we'll stay with the same theme, but we'll have a look at some other online resource, we'll have a look at some apps, and review what literature's out there too. Until then, I hope you'll make it a habit to share this podcast with your friends. If you'd go onto iTunes and give us a five-star rating, that would be amazing. It's quick to rate. You don't need to give a full review. We'd be over the moon if you'd share us with your friends and colleagues. And we'd love to hear more about what you want from this podcast. Let us know on Twitter. We're at Sharp Podcast. Or you can use the contact form on any episode on the website. Just go to sharppodcast.com, select the episode that you're listening to, and then choose Contact Us. And there's a form right there where you can uh, let us know what you'd like to have from the podcast or give us some comments on how you feel. We really, really appreciate you listening. We're really grateful for the people that have been sharing and helping to us to promote what we're doing. And I'm really looking forward to talking to you next week. Until then, have a fantastic week. Bye-bye. Steve, if you want me to keep opening and shutting my laptop, that's absolutely fine. And if you want to go for a jog at six o'clock in the morning, that's up to you. I'm going for a cup of tea.